Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. McCall, Idaho, 1966. I believe it was February. We had a rock band, and we had just finished a practice session. That night, Mike Banks and I walked home together. We had only gotten two blocks toward home. We were talking, and it was snowing hard, very hard. If the snow hadn't gotten my glasses wet, I might have missed it as it came down, completely silent, and went into the lake, Payette Lake. I looked at Mike and asked him if he'd seen anything, and he said, What did you see? I told him what I'd seen, and he verified the sight by describing it. Our sighting was a metallic-looking disc with three porthole windows, and horizontally at its center were three neon green lights that appeared to encircle its middle like a belt. Then we both witnessed its entrance into the lake. We ran down to see if it crashed, but it was nowhere in sight. Payette Lake is known to have no bottom in more than one area. This is a letter from my father. On our way back home from the Oregon Ghost Convention, we stayed a night at his place, got to visit and catch up, which is good because it had been a long time since I had seen him. After dinner, we stayed up chatting about the family and history, about the state park he lives in. It's it's a really cool place. But uh, just shooting the breeze into the wee hours of the morning when talk suddenly turned to the esoteric and the highly strange, my kind of conversation. He has told me before that he knows a ton of stories about ghostly encounters and strange experiences that various cousins I've never met and half-siblings I don't intimately know had had, and they are interesting for sure. But nothing quite hits like a personal story of someone that you know well. So when he began telling me this story, I was enwrapped. It was unexpected. I asked him to send it to me so I could share it on the show, thinking like email, right? He was like, sure, sure, sweetie. Now, my father is in his 70s doesn't use email, much less own a computer to send one. So three months later, I received an old school pin pal letter in the mailbox. It may have been walked here from Oregon and hand delivered, or suddenly it occurred to him that he hadn't sent it yet. But either way, I am glad it's here because I get to share it with you all. 
right in the nick of time, too. Great way to end this perfectly timed season. Welcome back to the Paranorm Girl podcast. I am your host, Kristen, and welcome to your season finale on UFOs and ET. I've come a long way on this subject. The education was hard won, and it feels good to be able to land on this one with more than a feeling or a gut instinct about it. There are going to be aspects that I covered this season that will just have to go that way, but not the meat and potatoes. I am very certain, feeling very certain about some things, and I'm very keen to share my deduced thoughts on that with you. This time around, we have countless pieces of evidence and documentation. We have confirmation about things we've always suspected we were being lied to about, And we have newly opened ears and determined allies on a congressional level that we have never had before, who can now assist supporters of this phenomenon, continue plowing the way forward. I foresee this snowball continuing to roll and gain speed long after I have moved on to a new topic. This box has been opened in such a way it would take an act of the highest order to close it again. To anyone who has had to brace themselves against the severe skepticism or had to fear losing their jobs, losing reputation, or even losing life over the past 76 years, but also beyond, you have endured what nobody should have to endure just to get people to listen. I think a lot more people are listening now, as well they should, because being forced to question one's worldview is no easy place to be, especially if you allowed it to come out of left field by denying that anything is is happening until it's too late. But there's no excuse for ignorance any longer. The information is out there. It's on public record. You have about a zillion books to choose from and many fine podcasts to learn from as well. The sooner you start to realize what has been taking place the entire time and deconstruct the alleged long-term deception and begin the very long journey of catching up, the less of a mark that ontological shock is going to leave. Before we can get to my conclusions, let's brush off some of our earlier episodes this season and talk about some of the information that we went over. I went into pretty good detail about three particular incidents in the season premiere, which ended up being the perfect sampling to showcase this phenomenon and the fallout or regular reactions to it. Talked about the Phoenix Lights, Thousands of residents of Phoenix, Arizona, witnessed this event that night. The government was quick with an explanation that didn't quite fit upon looking at the timing of events. Didn't matter. That's what stuck, thanks to the media, who was quick to support that illogical explanation, in turn making this mass sighting and shared experience into a mass hysteria event. Thousands were simply mistaken. Our imaginations can really play some tricks on us. Oh, me, oh, my. 
Also talked about the O'Hare International Airport incident. How incredible is that story? We have the transcript with one supervisor calling to the tower, not once, but twice, asking for a visual on what her employees were describing to her as a flying disc. One radar controller jokingly suggested she was drinking, if I recall correctly. Multiple airport employees saw this UFO hovering over the terminal before it quickly accelerated straight up through the cloud ceiling. The FAA was quick with their explanations, too, neither of which, lights reflecting off of the cloud ceiling or hole-punch cloud, made any sense for the documented conditions that day. O'Hare was also the first mention that I made of an incident where these unidentified objects don't necessarily always appear on or can be picked up on radar, though we may have eyes on them. The final incident that I covered was Dave Fravor and the Nimitz, a.k.a. the Tic Tac incident. The only difference in the government's reaction here is that there didn't seem to be one. One of the most incredible incidents of all time, and one that was so thoroughly viewed, I suspect it can really help us understand a lot about functions and abilities of UAP, period. It is the lesson. Now, according to both Fravor and Chad Underwood, the officer who actually filmed the Tic Tac, uh, it didn't take very long at all before they were just back to business as usual. They had a job to do. They wouldn't really think about their incident again until it was leaked years later. The Nimitz sighting really stayed with me all season long. It was just so impactful. And I wouldn't realize it there at the beginning, but thanks to the Nimitz account, I was able to arrive at a theory in answer to one of the questions that I have had regarding who or what is manning the craft that we are seeing everywhere. More on that later. But also just noting that talking about the Nimitz was the first mention I ever made that these objects can be picked up on radar. So they can be picked up and they cannot be picked up depending on the case. We also learned about the jamming capabilities of these things. Underwood later reported that as he tried to lock his radar on the UFO, he was actively jammed. That screams intelligence to me, along with its interaction and mirroring and ultimate evasion of Dave Fravor, of course, aware of its surroundings, technological awareness of Underwood's radar. And radar visuals are so important to validating this phenomenon because they can and are often accompanied by eyewitness testimonies. But even if the Nimitz had zero radar visual, it would the story would still be pretty impressive to me because this would also be my first military case that I would ever look into. And it blew me away realizing how common an occurrence this was for these military pilots and just how credible these guys are as witnesses, experts at what they do. Yes, Mick West, more of an expert at what they do and the mechanics of their machines and what they are familiar with while up zooming around in the sky, traveling at mock speeds, than you are. Sorry. <laughs> Dave Fravor was a top gun, a commanding officer, 
He was at it for a while, just like many other military members and cases that I have researched of military pilot encounters. And here they are reporting that they encountered something they, they have never seen before, nor can they possibly explain it. I saw red a couple of times early on with the skeptical takes in regards to the military encounters. One, I can't even remember his name, uh, was really nailing home that Navy pilots aren't perfect. They make mistakes all the time. Yes, of course they do. They are human beings. Even veteran pilots miscommunicate or overestimate fuel. All pilots get distracted, have poor planning. You know what I don't think they do so consistently? Fabricate an entirely unknown, unfamiliar object out of nowhere that is also seen by their wingmen and multiple radars. I mean, white propane tank with no wings and Two little legs on the bottom, a black cube inside of a clear sphere. God, Graves, at least be original and unique as you're misidentifying this obviously ordinary and everyday thing. Making myself mad all over again. <laughs> uh, I, uh, I proposed some early thoughts and made some statements in that premiere. Some right. Some incorrect, as I would later learn. I claimed, based on early reading about Project Blue Book, that a majority of encounters could be explained prosaically, while a smaller percentage cannot. While technically this is true, I would later learn that the 701 cases that they left on the table as unexplained out of the 12,618 cases they investigated in total is incorrect. It's a lowball number. The Air Force did not want to investigate UFOs publicly. They didn't want to find a lot of anomalous, unexplained events. If they found something to be truly anomalous, yes, they checked off unexplained. If they found something to be possibly anomalous, well, they didn't have a category for possibly anomalous. Their categories, I would later learn were very limited. This being the case, I'm led to believe that the low percentage, what we would consider a low percentage of truly unexplained events and sightings taking place worldwide, is higher in general across the board. I also said that the things that we are seeing exceeds our imagination and our current understanding of reality. This is true. Am I a prophet here or what? On a more physical understanding of this phenomenon, my relaying of the five observables, credit to Lou Elizondo, supports this statement. Anti-gravity lift, instant acceleration, hypersonic speed without signature, cloaking, transmedium, all of which can be seen in the Nimitz sighting, all of which is science that we do not understand yet. There are also inconceivable occurrences in our encounters with alien beings, things that exceed our current understanding and definitely are beyond our wildest imaginations. I also asked three questions. I believe today 
I have formed answers to those questions. I asked, what is it? Who's doing it? What do they want? I will share my answers to those questions near the end. Before we move on, let's holla at our sponsors. Ladies, brace yourselves because fantasy football season is upon us. And that means the man in your life is about to disappear into a vortex of football stats, endless draft discussions, and seven hours of commercial-free football every Sunday morning. While he's busy pretending he's a professional coach, this is where you step in and be his grooming MVP with the sponsors of today's conclusion, Manscaped. Let's make sure he doesn't fumble in the personal hygiene department this year with their performance package 4.0. Head over to manscaped.com and use code PNG for 20% off plus free shipping. Let me ask you something. Have you ever accidentally bitten your own tongue? Stubbed your pinky toe on the side of the bed? Such a small, seemingly minor ouch that can have you in tears, right? How about this? You ever nicked yourself? Buzzing the kibble and bits? Hmm? Has your partner? That's an unpleasant experience also. Let's reduce the chance that happens with the advanced skin-safe technology of Manscaped. The Lawnmower 4.0, which comes in the performance package, features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents and a 4,000K LED spotlight, so you don't have to go in blind. He's got other important things to worry about, like the upcoming draft picks. So, replace his apprehensive grimace with a self-assured smile with the Lawnmower 4.0 and all of the other goodies found in the performance package, and get 20% off plus free shipping with the code PNG at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code PNG at manscaped.com. Keep your man's bod in check and give yourself something to look at besides the TV this football season with Manscaped. If I accomplished anything with the deep dive into the history of possible sightings, renditions, and reports of UFOs and beings throughout, I hope it is this that you walked away from that episode with a clear understanding that 1947 was not the beginning. People still believe that it was, and they view this phenomenon as a fairly recent phenomenon. That is just not true. Folks not aware of the information we covered have some catching up to do. Throughout human history, people have been seeing things in the sky performing extraordinary feats and speeds that they cannot explain. They certainly tried to describe them. Phantom ships, chariots and horses of fire ascending to heaven, ships in the air, crews intact, earthenware vessel, black spears in celestial battles, balloons on fire, shields, giant lizards flying across the sky. They tried. (laughs) Much like Kenneth Arnold in 47, attempting to describe what he saw as saucers skipping, people have been trying to relay what it looked like to them through the scope of what they could comprehend in their time. And it sounds ridiculous to us now, but they were doing their best. Uh, I never did get an answer 
or further information about that paper that I, I found by uh, Ame Mikkel. Anyone who wishes to give it another go, I would still be interested. Once again, that paper was titled Paleolithic UFO Shapes. Take a look at the symbol legend. There are some really interesting shapes included, taken from ancient cave art, far more detailed than what was found at Lascaux and Altamira, if you can believe it. I also covered the next case I was completely blown away with, Flight 1628. It is in my top five list, 100%. At the end of today's episode, I will reveal my top five list in its entirety for your own research. If you are new to the subject and just want a place to start, these were the ones that set my passion for the topic ablaze. So they may be a good place for you also to begin. Ship Shapes and Alien Race was where I began making that hard turn into the reality that is aliens. A question that I had heading into that one was, do UFOs equal aliens? The answer is yes, they do. But sometimes no. We'll talk about it. Now, I was always going to approach the enigma of alien beings with an openness. That was my intention from the start. But this is what the conclusion is all about, laying my cards on the table. So, to be quite frank, I was very skeptical. Why was I so skeptical about aliens? (laughs) Because, dear listeners, I don't believe in monsters. Call me closed-minded on this if you wish. But monsters do not exist. Probably. <laughs> they're, they're, they're hanging somewhere out there with the ectoplasm. Nothing that I have come across so far in this show has pointed me to monsters are real. I have come across a lot of information that showed me I had been led to assume that erroneously. But yes. I had been led to believe throughout my life that aliens are monsters. And when I got that clear view at aliens' portrayal in cinematic history, I saw where a lot of that came from. I also grew up with a parent who read David Icke, so that should explain a lot. But at the time of recording this episode, the presumption was I am probably not ever going to find that smoking gun evidence that makes me believe that aliens are de facto real. And I don't wonder if UFOs are a separate phenomenon and can be shown to clearly exist without them. Because I was already on board with UFOs. I already thought they were fairly undeniable. And that was just based on the limited information that I had already amassed. And that certainly would continue to grow over the course of the season. Going through the descriptions, though, of the handful of beings that that we did cover was very interesting. I thought it was fun. And I will leave it at that for now. One more thing to add to that, and then I'll leave it. Uh, This does not fly in the face 
of, oh, oh, Kristen, but you said it's crazy to think that we're alone in this universe. No, 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 no. I, I, I can still believe that we are not alone in this universe while also being skeptical that there are monsters creeping around uh, in, you know, in covert ways and, and doing awful things to us. And it, I don't know. It was a hard place to be. Um, but yeah, that, that I'll leave it at that for now. Okay. I proposed an idea during that episode that I didn't realize then would end up being a big part of my final conclusion. I proposed uh, what I am going to term the scout theory. We witness and capture on film a lot of metallic spheres in our airspace. These guys are very, very small, about two feet in diameter and smaller, small enough that it is hard to imagine a living being inside of one, controlling one. I mean, anything is possible, but these pilots would have to be teeny tiny. The scout theory supports my suspicion that these are in fact unmanned objects with a form of autonomous intelligence. Maybe not so cute and full of personality as the objects and batteries, not included, but same foundational idea. These things seem to be aware and reactive to their environment. We can see that with reports from pilots that claim they had near misses with them, but then the sphere swerved out of the way at the last minute or played tag with them during a war. And I say autonomous intelligence because of the immediacy with their reactions to things going on around them. Could they conceivably be controlled via an outside source of intelligence, much like we would control a drone? It's possible. Yes, there are a lot of possibilities we see with the craft that we are witnessing. I am going to land today that they are controlling themselves, though, because I think that is what they were designed to do. It's part of their function. Like Lou Elizondo spoke about during an interview, the shape of the craft seems to be a result of the function of that craft. And I think these unmanned, small, metallic balls are essentially self-sustainable alien drones. And their function is to scout and survey. To put it into a, a context why they would be designed to act as a tool of surveillance for our understanding, we wouldn't send a person to make contact with a tribe of known cannibals in some remote forest if we wanted to safely, intelligently, efficiently get eyes on this tribe and what they're doing and the layout of their territory in this day and age we would just send a drone to capture the images and collect the information. In this scenario with the metallic spheres, we are the cannibals. <laughs> we are a rather violent, fear-based species. We have been this way since the beginning and continue proving ourselves to be so. Why would aliens come themselves if there were a far better way of going about scoping out the situation? And that is not to say that they don't or haven't in the past. As I understand it, we have some fully intact craft that came with bodies. So we know they have. But you notice, and maybe, maybe this is just me, anybody notice how there seems to be a preponderance 
of these metallic spheres in the last few decades seems like even more so in more recent years. I wonder why. One more thing about the craft and their shapes. Uh, some think that UFOs have evolved over time, you know, always staying one or two steps ahead of our own capabilities. I, I really don't think this is accurate. I think they may have always been at the level of technology that we have seen in the last 76 years and beyond. But I think the only thing that has likely changed can be seen in the way that people throughout the centuries have been able to describe their appearance. And if some of those descriptions seem just too simple and mundane, I mean, humans communicated by grunting at one point. So we, we have come a long way to craft a more sophisticated understanding and ability to communicate the finer details. Diving into alien abduction was wild. I talked about Betty and Barney, Travis Walton, and the Allagash incident. All of these incidents, I believe, took place. I do. I wasn't completely on board before starting the research, but just like most things that I have covered, I didn't have enough information to even be fairly skeptical. In fact, can we just talk about fanatic skepticism for just a second? I think it is completely unfair to be skeptical about someone else's experience when you don't actually know what you are talking about. When you weren't there, when you're not an expert on any of the aspects of the case that you are debunking, and what I have seen so far with this phenomenon that is unlike any other phenomenon I have explored before. UFO skeptics are the loudest people in the room. They have such vast reach and giant audiences. Fanatic skepticism has been the reason that people have lost jobs and lost their reputations, not because they told their story. It was you. And for what? For money. For recognition. Let's not forget that famous skeptics get paid for their staunch opinions. It behooves them to deny and tarnish extraordinary events that fall outside of the lines of the currently accepted scientific reality instead of waiting for all of the facts to come out. And let me be clear, I am not talking about actual skepticism. I am talking about fanatic skeptics. It gets to a point where it is so clear that you have such a death grip on your idea of reality that if, if, if the, the general consensus was that the sky was green and the grass was blue, you would wax poetically on about why the sky is green and the grass was blue, even in the face of, of a gardener piping up to say, well, no, the grass is actually green. Here are my credentials and expertise and academic history of studying all varieties of grass. And you would continue to harp on that the sky is green and downplay the millions of people staring up at it, clearly seeing that it is, in fact, blue. So when military pilots not only capture a 
strange-looking object in their radar, but make visual contact with it, and they say, look, I'm kind of an expert at operating my machine, at flying. I've got years of experience under my belt. I, I've been trained to do this specifically. I have been trained to know what to look for. I'm pretty good at knowing what should and should not be up here with me, and I don't know what this thing is, but it's advanced and it's anomalous technology. Do not think for a second. You can just shut him down with your lens flare theory or that he is mistaking the back end of another jet for an unidentified object. He knows what a lens flare looks like. He knows what the back of another jet looks like. And so do the thousands of other military pilots who have experienced this phenomenon for decades. You weren't there. You don't have their expertise and background, and your observation is lazy. Alien abduction. <sighs> Alien abduction. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Learning the stories was important to my process, yes, but it was all of the other stuff that I didn't know about these cases and the aftermath of these cases that helped me start to turn the corner on aliens. The polygraph tests, the investigations, the crazy amounts of physical evidence, the trauma these experiences caused the way it affected these people's lives for years to come. And these were not crazy people. They were normal, trying to go about their daily lives when something extraordinary happened to them. I also was introduced to a concept about aliens that has stayed with me. John Mack, the psychiatrist, the professor, the Pulitzer Prize-winning John Mack had wondered if interactions with aliens were taking place on a spiritual plane, that these encounters were really taking place, but the beings themselves weren't necessarily physical. I think he was very close to the truth of it. Not quite, but close. There are spiritualish, metaphysicalish. Uh, liminal aspects to these encounters, things that don't quite mesh with our understanding uh, of the physical plane. Something else I looked at thanks to a recommendation from Jason Cordova over at Society for Arcane Studies was the connection between alien abduction and supernatural folklore. It is just jaw-dropping the similarities between fairy abduction and alien abduction. It's a similar process, similar environment, similar interaction between abductor and abductee. They also share traits of paralysis, telepathy, lost time, examination, 
and then the return back to your home or plane of existence. Is it entirely possible that the abductions of our folklore, stories from the past, were the same phenomenon taking place in modern times under a different name? Which would mean fairies aren't actually fairies, but aliens. There is uh, another idea to grapple with here, but would fit in when considering whether fairies and other ultra-terrestrial-ish type beings are or are not aliens. The idea that there is a paranormal entity of a negative nature that is able to mimic other paranormal phenomena and physically manifest into our very fears to suit their own purposes. And I'm not going to explore this too much right now, but it is an adjacent theory that goes hand in hand with something I discussed with Kathleen Marden. She seemed pretty certain that these, that there were aliens and then there were these lower dimensional entities who could mimic the alien abduction scenario and would pretend to be aliens in order to get involved with their victim and then wreak havoc on their life and cause all kinds of problems for them. It, it sounds almost like demonic oppression. But basically, she wanted to make clear to me that the entities she had personally dealt with were of light and positivity and working for the betterment of humankind, and that a majority of cases she studied uh, were of a positive nature. And then there were these other cases, negative, dark, waiting for the invitation and opportunity to take over someone's life. And it would be my talk with Kathleen about abduction that opened my eyes and ratcheted down my understanding on the topic of aliens. Kathleen and I would get into some of the ABCs of abduction. And uh, also, we discussed her aunt and uncle's case and her work with the Experiencer Research Team and the three-year study that they conducted to find commonalities seen among abductees versus the general public. They were able to test for real abductee experiences and weed out hoaxers and people who had UFO abduction syndrome. And that's incredibly valuable to be able to do something like that. And learning from her everything that went into the careful crafting of these tests and control measures that they were taking in order to get good evidence by the end of it all quelled a lot of the skepticism that I had about aliens and the abduction scenario. It was quite obvious to me early on that there were some really tall tales being told of abduction. And I had wondered, okay, if there is a real event taking place here, if there are people really being taken, how would we even ever begin to go about deciphering which was which? Well, the Experiencer Research Team did just that. You can read all about their work and their results in her book that I mentioned in that episode, Extraterrestrial Contact, What to Do When You Have Been Abducted. I had also asked her back then a question about whether these experiences were happening on a physical or spiritual plane, a la John Mack. And she was honest. She said she'd been searching for the answer to that question for a long time. 
But she did say a couple of key things that tie into where I arrived on the topic. She had personally witnessed video of these beings coming in on a light beam, translucent to begin with, but becoming more solid and material as they reached the ground. She thought there was interdimensional activity taking place, but in relation to their technology. Their technology would allow them to come into our dimension and then take us to their dimension. She also theorized that some of them may strictly be interdimensional, but didn't think all of them were. And she was supportive of the extraterrestrial hypothesis. And that support is not surprising because her aunt and uh, others' cases that she had studied had been shown star maps by their abductors and shown which star systems they were from. So the logical question is, why would they show a physical location in the universe of where they were from if this was all interdimensional? That is a fair question based on the evidence she had found. Kathleen also reminded me of a connection aliens have to another subject we have covered on this very show, shadow people. She was discussing the vibrational frequency of aliens, adding that their vibrational frequency is higher than ours. As the vibrational frequency increases, the body density decreases. And if the human eyeball should fall on one of these beings, they might appear as shimmering entities or shadow people. I had long since forgotten that many shadow person encounters had an alien correlation to them. There were witnesses who said they saw both shadow people and E.T. during their experience. The aspect of paralysis is the same. Both shadow people and extraterrestrial-like beings are encountered during out-of-body experiences, too. And that was a theory I brought up in the season one conclusion as well. People thought that shadow people were aliens. And I said pretty confidently at the time that, nope, 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 shadow people and aliens are two separate entities, and I would ultimately land on the shadow person being an interdimensional being. And I stand by that, but think I may need to readjust my take on their complete and total separation based on what Ms. Martin told me. And also, based on where I am landing on aliens in this one. The nuclear connection is pretty apparent. There are a lot of theories as to why these beings seem to be so interested in our nukes, to the point of interaction with them, turning them off and on. It's such an apparent interest and connection that many UFO researchers have zeroed in on it specifically. There is a certain amount of radioactivity to their crafts. We get higher readings at landing sites, at crop circles. Uh, abductees have required treatment for radioactive burns. Years after Travis Walton's case, after he had time to process what had happened to him, he thought that his abduction wasn't meant to happen, that they only abducted him after accidentally hurting him with the radioactive blast that threw him back. He thought later on that the abduction took place in order to revive him, to help him. 
This is my theory. I think that nuclear energy plays a role in their advanced technology. It's, it's an energy source. That is why we get these readings at places that they have been. They have harnessed the energy, but do understand the devastation it can cause in far more ignorant hands. And I think that is of a special concern for them. Maybe not because of the harm it will cause to us, necessarily, maybe. But again, not necessarily. But because of the harm it would cause to them and the world. I'm getting very close <laughs> to disclosing my entire UFO and, and ET theory. I'm, I'm circling around here. We're almost there. Hang in there. Uh, I really only wanted to speak on two other subjects that we covered this season and see how uh, or if they tie in crop circles and men in black. Crop circles may not all be made directly by these entities, but I do think all genuine crop circles, yes, meaning ones made by circle makers under a certain influence as well as anomalous ones, are caused by them. There was a noted give and take, back and forth nature reported by the researchers and reported by enthusiasts who asked for one to be made for them. There's a certain level of communication apparent and there was a certain level of interaction apparent. I theorize that the purpose for crop circles is as simple as it appears to be. It's a form of communication between our two worlds. Perhaps an early attempt at establishing contact, testing the waters. If that is so, I think we ultimately failed to decode what all of the designs could have meant, but anyone who has ever had a powerful spiritual connection or experience with one would attest that there was something powerful and meaningful about them. Men in black. No. <laughs> the extremely tall, extremely gaunt, pale, bald, white, icy blue-eyed, robotic-like, hitman-esque, non-human who seems to know everything about you, hates that you saw a UFO, knows what you're thinking at all times, menace in the black suit and hat, is... No. No. I don't think so. I think the legend has grown larger than the man. Now, a government official working for an uninitialed part of the government, maybe... Dresses professionally in a suit, knows where you're going to be because your information is on file, working for his unnamed office or aerospace company to discourage, disinform, and potentially threaten you in the vested interest of that office or special access program, knows how to appear and disappear quickly from the scene because he's been trained for it, a totally human and mortal man hired and trained to keep the toppest of all top secrets secret. I mean, I think that's more likely. We all know the government has uh, covered up UFOs and alien encounters for forever. It's not out of the question 
they would hire a fixer, a cleaner, a, a damage control artiste. All right, before we launch into my conclusion, I told you all a couple of weeks ago I would share my thoughts and reactions to the Committee on Oversight and Accountability hearing on UAP that took place on July 26th. Here you go. I thought this was a decent turnout of Congress people. Um, I was impressed. Throughout the entire hearing, I really grasped the breadth of the wall that these people are running into. I felt that at least the members of Congress who were present at that hearing were serious, they were interested, and they were frustrated with the lack of knowledge, access that they actually had, and transparency. I appreciated the, uh, for the most part, bipartisan atmosphere in that room. It was respectful for the most part and felt like a, a genuine effort on both sides to come together to try and suss out a solution. Heck, to, to suss out the actual problem together. Some really interesting information was brought forth. Great points were made and great questions were asked. The Red Square incident in Vandenberg was new to me. Critics of the hearing saying it was all old news. No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. Got to hear a little about Maddie G's experience at uh, Eglund Air Force Base. That was new and interesting. Uh, Graves, talking about when he's talking about the performance capabilities of what has been seen, talked about the object that hovered stationary in Category 4 hurricane winds. Hadn't heard that yet. Didn't know that. And on the performance capabilities of these objects witnessed by these people and other military and commercial pilots, the witnesses would relay that the tech they faced was far superior to anything we have, and the performance is far uh, beyond anything that we currently possess. It was a little disheartening to hear Graves' estimation that 95% of uh, incidents experienced by pilots goes unreported. That is unfortunate and hopefully is something we will see continue to change. I have hope. Great points made included graves. If the problem is not something that can be measured, it's not something that can be fixed, right? Yes. Uh, Fravor, things are overclassified. Yes, they are. Representative Moskowitz, we should have disclosure today. We should have disclosure tomorrow. The time has come. Ding, 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 ding. Yes. One of my favorite questions of the entire hearing was, if you were me, where would you look? Asked by Ms. Ocasio-Cortez, this question said to me that this committee is truly in the dark don't even know where to start, but are serious and willing to do the digging and the sleuthing and the necessary questioning. Simple but great question. And I hope she ended up getting the answer to that in a, in a skiff. There were uh, just a lot of powerful moments and things said and heading, heading into that hearing, I was as excited as I ever am, but with a little less sparkle, just because you unconsciously think it's, it's going to be more of the same, you know. This was not that. 
It was exactly what I have been waiting for. It was incredibly validating. My final thought and ultimate takeaway from this hearing and is something that I've been grappling with. It, It makes me very nervous. An unintentional funny moment was when Mr. Langworthy, after asking about propulsion, I think they were talking about, followed with the statement, we really have a problem here. Earlier, there was talk of UAP collecting reconnaissance and testing vulnerabilities uh, that they provided an existential threat to us, that if the pilots had been forced to defend themselves, they wouldn't have been capable of doing so. And uh, one of the final statements made was that this clearly is a threat to national security of the United States of America. I was told prior to listening to the hearing that the threat narrative was going to be pushed. So I went into it prepared to be standoffish and skeptical whenever it came up. And there was a lot of eye rolling on my part that grew less and less by the end because of something that Grush answered. He said that he had confirmation that people in the past had been hurt or killed by interaction with UAP. The threat narrative is not new, but it took on a different tone for me. Even though I am fully aware how the threat narrative could be used for the government's benefit to exploit the masses as we go through disclosure, I'm fully aware of of that. Grush knows what he is talking about. He is a, a credible source. He is trustworthy. And I believe him. If he is concerned, if Fravor and Graves are concerned, then I also need to be concerned and not so quick to be flippant in response. That is not to say I think everyone be afraid, be be very afraid. It's only to say I'm approaching this unfolding situation open-minded to what may happen, uh, open and hopeful, but not an idiot. We should proceed cautiously, but proceed nevertheless. Um, I don't like that so many politicians and other government officials, which also has been echoed by some in the general public, that whatever this is must be a threat that needs to be defended against and dealt with. And this is so worrisome to me. (laughs) And I don't like the feeling like my emotions and sense of self-preservation might be getting played here. But it is and should be a valid caution taken by all of us. Let's not put the cart before the horse, but let's proceed carefully. So far... We do not have enough official information to claim that this is an existential threat. But we do, according to Grush, have examples of times that this interaction has already gone awry. We don't know because he couldn't say, but we don't know whether it was accidental, unintentional, the person's fault, the alien's fault. Until they declassify these examples, we do not have any indication either way. This tech is far superior to ours, absolutely. And that can be an unsettling thought. But again, we have no indication either way 
of where these beings and their craft stand and how they consider us. I have heard this argument before. Just because they are highly advanced and highly intelligent doesn't necessarily mean they are peaceful. Yeah, it it very well could be true that they are not. But I don't think we have enough information worth a mass panic. I just, I really hope any future action as we move forward is well thought out and measured. That is my hope. There is a way through this where we can be on guard, but also open and willing to integrate this new reality into our own. It's too important to act irrationally and start shooting from the hip. And with that, I think we can ease into my final conclusion. Every season, I take a subject, I pull it apart, we go through and explore the information together. And then I fit it all back together like a puzzle in order to arrive at a brand new belief or opinion or a different take on the subject than I held before or a confirmation on what I already believe to be true. Here is where I have arrived on UFOs and ET based on our investigation. The government has assuredly been lying to us and covering this whole thing up since the beginning. That is a conspiracy I can get behind. I believe Grush when he says we have 12 fully intact craft in lockup, and we have been working at reverse engineering their tech in secret. I think it may have started out innocently enough to not cause panic amongst the masses, But I also think the secrecy has grown into something with far more nefarious and greed-based motivations. Who does it benefit most for the larger public to continue about their daily lives, never knowing the wiser that we are not alone and that there exists technology that would literally change everything, that would solve a lot of the world's problems? that could potentially prevent war or buy us time with the climate crisis, that would give us all free and limitless energy. It would benefit those who need us to be at odds with one another, who need things to not change, who need us to continue going to our nine-to-fives and keeping this machine chugging along, who need us to continue believing That we are alone and no one is coming, so rely on the system and those in power because that's all we've got. If people suddenly realized that no one needed to struggle so hard their entire lives or pay for energy that is so readily available or uh, could have prevented the climate crisis to begin with or never had to go to war, they would have a real problem on their hands. And once it's revealed, we will never be able to go back. The world will never be the same again. So who does it benefit for that to not happen? Those who hold the real power, who want a leg up against other nations in the wartime machine, and who probably want to sell the technology back to us on a much smaller scale and make billions in the process because consumerism makes the world go around. Whee! 
So the goalpost has evolved, but bottom line, the reason for the secrecy is control, I believe. There are many different kinds of unidentified flying objects. I agree with Lou Elizondo. I do think the shape is in relation to the object's function, like the metallic spheres I spoke about, uh, essentially being autonomous drones, unmanned reconnaissance vehicles. Piloted or not, all of these craft exhibit characteristics that do not align with our current understanding of how things should work. Once again, those characteristics are sudden and instant acceleration, anti-gravity lift, hypersonic velocity without a signature, doesn't create a sonic boom, cloaking, and transmedium travel capabilities. How can they do all of these things that we can't? If we keep waiting for the scientifically grounded answer while looking at it through the lens of our currently understood science, I think we will be looking forever. This is science that we do not understand yet. Uh, I believe these craft and their capabilities are the result of masterful energy manipulation. Not just physical energy sources such as nuclear energy, but and that's where I'm going to lose some of you. But vibration, frequency, and consciousness. The power of consciousness plays a huge part in this phenomenon. I believe these craft require the consciousness of their pilot to function at all. But also to seemingly make impossible evasive maneuvers instantaneously, 90-degree turns at mock speeds or sudden hypersonic exits from the point of contact to be picked up on a radar at a cap point 60 miles away in under a minute. I mean, nothing moves faster than the speed of light, but they be moving pretty dang quick. Are they operating and maneuvering via intention? via thought. I'm thinking so. I was recently introduced to uh, another theory that they are manipulating space and time itself, which is really intriguing and uh, also explains why they seem to be moving at impossible speeds and doing impossible maneuvers. They aren't actually, but via the manipulation of time and space, it would appear so to our dumb, dumb human eyes. <laughs> I am going to stick to my thought that it has more to do with consciousness for now due to other consciousness-based connections in other parts of the phenomenon, but am open to other theories that will inevitably come up. I agree with Ms. Marden about these entities operating at a different vibrational level. Furthermore, I propose their crafts do as well. I propose that they are or have a physical basis and, again, have learned how to manipulate energy to their benefit and have the ability to adjust their electromagnetic frequency at will. If these craft and their occupants are operating at different levels of frequency and vibration, this can also explain cloaking 
capabilities as they can tune in or out to exist at different levels on the electromagnetic spectrum, most of which we are unable to see. There are a million things going on around you right now that you cannot perceive. We are very limited in our human perceptions, but that doesn't mean these things going on around you are non-existent. Perhaps the same can be said of these craft. Could they very well be hiding in plain sight where they have always been? Which brings me to the entities themselves. Wasn't even sure I was going to be able to land on aliens at all, much less land here. I have come to believe they are interdimensional, not intergalactic. In our nuclear episode, I threw out a term and a theory that makes a lot of sense to me. The term was paraphysical, which is something that is not necessarily paranormal and not necessarily physical. Something both here and there. Something some people see and some people do not. I was describing a physical interdimensional being without really thinking about it. We have seen and taken physical bodies following crashes. On the ground, witnesses speak to seeing physical bodies. And military officials report receiving them at various Air Force bases for holding and have also reported seeing them up close and personal inside of their holding containers, such as was the case with Colonel Philip J. Corso, which he documented in his book, The Day After Roswell. It's an incredible story. Check it out. Grush also alludes to the recovery of craft, which contain dead non-human pilots. They are also paranormal, because they do things like be translucent and walk through walls and locked doors and windows. They also communicate via telepathy consistently. That's pretty paranormal. Oh, yeah, they, they be dimension hopping, too. And near the end of that episode, I asked, what if it's the case that we are sharing this Earth with something like that? Whether or not... They require nuclear energy as a source of fuel. Obviously, they are not stealing any of ours. I think, I think we would be talking about that. <laughs> so, why the helicopter parenting over the facilities? Why the manipulating the functions of the missiles? Shooting them out of the sky? Why? I think it's because the destruction nuclear missiles could cause would impact them personally. Grush really did not want to denote origin, thus not terming them as extraterrestrial. He theorized from a physics perspective that it may not be extraterrestrial, but coming from a higher dimensional physical space that might be co-located right here. Now, this flies in the face of an aspect of abduction. Abductees have reported being shown star maps and pointed toward star systems where their abductors were from. Could be a couple of things going on here. Perhaps some, as Ms. Marden suggested, some are interdimensional and some are not. 
Maybe it's as easy as that. And if that were the case, I feel like if there are intelligences able to hop back and forth between dimensions, then there are intelligences who have probably figured out space travel by now. But if we were only to consider interdimensional as our answer, would it benefit them in the slightest to reveal to these people during the abduction that, oh, hey, so not to be creepy or anything, and then and, and, and this is kind of weird, but like we're uh, sort of neighbors. <laughs> not if they don't want to be caught, if they want to continue these abduction activities in relative peace. I am guessing in that hypothetical situation, it would be beneficial to the perpetrating alien to lie. (laughs) So to quickly recap, UFOs are highly advanced, technologically superior, interdimensional craft piloted by highly intelligent interdimensional beings who understand science we couldn't even begin to comprehend at this point in time, who has perfected energy manipulation and the power of consciousness operating via adjustments in their frequency and vibration. And pray tell, why do they do what they do? Data collection and a general stewardship of our shared planet. I never went into ancient alien theory, so I cannot speak to us being their science experiment or their their hybrid descendants or anything like that. From all observations, I am currently able to make of their reported actions and activities and the recent education on the awful stories of animal mutilation and the features of those cases. As malevolent and terrible as that activity looks from the outside, I think it is about data collection, monitoring of the planet, and genuine concern. I heard a very interesting theory behind the animal mutilations. It looks horrific from the outside. If you knew some of the things that are going on inside our labs to test animals, you would think exactly the same thing. The theory is that they are testing these largest of animals for general levels of radiation. And they only ever seem to take certain parts of the animal Perhaps these specific organs, when scientifically tested by them, give the most accurate level readings. And that is why they consistently take just those parts. And that is why they consistently take these large animals. There has been a few stories of human mutilation, though very rare. And I I did not get into that at all, so I, I can't speak to it. But If this theory were true, it's as valid as any. It points to monitoring and concern for the planet and the environment. It would also speak to why they only seem to mutilate free-range organic beef or wild animals to get an accurate general reading and not something that has been pumped up with all kinds of chemicals. 
So while there may be a smaller curiosity about us, I'm, I'm sure we're as alien to them as they are to us, I think their monitoring and surveillance has less to do with us as the primary focus of their concern, but more so curiosity and concern about our activities and how we are affecting everything around us. Have you never been either curious or concerned with your loud or violent neighbor? <laughs> what, what they're up to? I am going to land there for now. But this subject is definitely in my scope from now until forever. I am so pleased that this was the topic this season. It has been mind-blowing and mind-numbing but mostly the part. Here before we end, I want to share with you all my top five list. These were cases I found enthralling, and I would recommend them to anyone just getting started that wants to immediately be taken in by it. My top five incidents are the Tic Tac incident, Flight 1628, Lake and Heath and Bentwaters, it's that's a tough one. I'm not going to lie. It's a tough one. A lot of numbers and directions to get through, but really worth the dive. And the last two, no shocker here, but Roswell and the Betty and Barney Hill abduction. These cases ended up blowing me away with the amounts of evidence and or the supporting documentation involved, whether it was multiple radar visuals followed by eyewitness visuals, thorough study and research following the case, scientific study of the incident following the case, or the trail of transcripts and firsthand witnesses. These had me shooketh. Had me shooketh. This will conclude our season on the UFO and ET phenomenon. I imagine my final conclusions today will shift and change, and I truly welcome it. Because if they are shifting and changing, that means I have found more evidence, which is never a bad thing. There certainly is no lack of evidence on this paranormal topic. These conclusions are my own opinion and can change at any time, depending on evidence presented to me. The details of these conclusions are almost don't even matter, though, compared to the reality of what I am actually saying here in this finale and the reality that we are now facing. The bottom line, the ultimate truth for us all from this point forward is this. UFOs are very real, and we are not alone. Facts. With all of my heartfelt thanks to you guys for joining me for yet another season, I will say ever so proudly, and for the final time on this one, this will be a wrap on today's show. Time for a final note. When I realized the connection of aliens to shadow people, I got curious. I wondered, you know... Since the beginning of this show, I've had this suspicion that I bet this might be all connected somehow. I wonder if I could possibly connect this season's subject to any of the other subjects that I have covered. I think you guys know where I'm heading with this. 
The psychic and medium subject was easy. There is psychic phenomena taking place in the alien phenomenon as well. During abductions, they are using telepathy. There are also numerous reports of telekinesis taking place. They are using ESP. Okay. Demons was also very easy. Throughout history, up to this very day, people are claiming to see demonic entities. And commenters on TikTok and YouTube who know everything, it, it never fails. On any video having to do with UFO or aliens, someone will type and send the explanation for us all that aliens are actually fallen angels. Are people mistaking, and I, I talked about this in the demon season, whether people were mistaking some other entity for a demon, but are people erroneously calling an alien being a demon? Is that the mistake that is happening? I think the fairies and elves we once thought were abducting everyone uh, were likely alien abduction. Fairies and elves and all other nature of supernatural critters have also historically been labeled demonic from time to time. Is it just aliens? Was it always just aliens? I don't know. But demons certainly get roped in here. Mandela effect. Now, how, Kristen, are you going to connect aliens with Mandela effect? How are you going to do that? There's no way. Well, as you might recall, maybe not, but part of my conclusion on what was causing Mandela effect was the power of collective consciousness and its ability to change physical reality around us. And also how particles can flit in and out of existence and theorize that wherever they are disappearing to and coming back from could be another dimension. As I mentioned before, I think aliens use consciousness to propel their vehicles and also use it to influence folks to create crop circles and talk to you via telepathy and channeling and exert mental control to more easily, peacefully, calmly abduct. And of course, my thoughts on them being interdimensional beings. They too, much like our disappearing particles, can flit in and out of existence. They probably sitting in their recliners on their side watching the evening news when our particle suddenly makes an appearance in the middle of their living room and they all like, honey, it's happening again. What the heck are those people doing over there? But yeah, that's the connection I found. <laughs> <laughs> is it all tied together? Is the paranormal but one single phenomenon with infinite ways of presenting itself? And I am but exploring all the different faces of it. I don't know yet. It'll be a long time yet before I have my final theory of everything. We can only consider what we already know and continue following the trail of crumbs. But I'll let you know. For now, we can rest assured that we have at least one piece of the puzzle. 
we can now stare up at the night sky, not just with wonder, but expectation. And we can now think differently in our awareness of what's going on around us, unperceived by our own senses, but there, nevertheless. Because UFOs are real, and we are not alone. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in this season. It has meant a lot to me. I may be closing this chapter for now, but don't you stop. Don't stop searching. Do not stop pushing for the answers. Keep that fire in your bellies. Disclosure is upon us, and that is only thanks to curiosity and bravery from you and those who have come before. Let's keep it going. Let's make them proud. Paranorm Girl will be back in September for an all-new season and an exciting new chapter in the story. Until then, stay safe, keep the nightlight on, and sleep with one eye open. credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.